What up, everybody? It's Tyler. This is Danny. We're at Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. This week, Phantom of the Paradise. I'm looking forward to this. Before we get there, we have to start off the way that I just said it <laughs> in our intro. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. Let's get to our green hats. Danny, what is this Jay that you brought for me today? Awesome. So I stopped by over at Mile High and picked up a strain I haven't really had before, you know, prior to this weekend, but I brought over some Hawaiian Dream. And with that being said, this is a 60-40 split, I believe, over at Mile High on the Sativa Indica. And it is crossed using Blue Dream and the Maui Wowie strains. So with that being said, the THC, I believe, over there runs a little bit over 18%. Most of the flavors and the aromas that you're going to get off of this are some of the uh, citrusy, grapefruit, a little bit of pineapple and sweet flavors. The aromas are a little bit more floral. And uh, the effects on this, kind of your traditional energized, euphoric, focused, giggly, happy and uplifting feelings. And this particular strain is good for people who suffer from chronic pain, inflammation, eye pressure, and arthritis because it's said that it does have levels of CBD that help with that. So, Gotcha. Hell yeah. This week, I actually still had a J left over from last week. Yeah, so you're yeah. getting the same thing again. That's okay. It's some cap junkie again. I mean, I know that every episode is potentially somebody's first, but I just <laughs> talked about this last week. Yeah, if you exactly. wanted me to go too so in-depth, you can go listen to that one, and I highly encourage you to go listen to it anyway because Lords of Salem is a really fun movie. However, what I will say is it's hybrid, crossed from Alien Cookies and Kush Mints, and is in fact bred to be a little bit more of a high THC strain. This coming from flower is only at about 29%, which of course we've seen higher before, but it is bred for its potency basically, so it should still be a pretty good uh, heavy hitter. I think slight... Indica leaning? I can't remember I which, remember some but. of the terpenes on it. I believe were either humulene or linalool mm. on that, and uh, I think some laminine and whatnot. So. Yeah, I don't remember offhand. Like I said, if I'm doing it two weeks in a row, you guys can back up a week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be all right. <laughs> Not that we don't love you, but like good. I said, I talked about this just last week. You only have to scroll down just a little bit on that exactly. list. And it's right there. The first part. And like I said, minutes. bro, Lords of Salem's great anyway. It is. Highly recommend it. So check out us talking about that and me talking about Cap Junkie. And a reminder to go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms at the lowest level. You could be listening to this last week. Highest level. You could be talking to us on the Discord. And right in between, you get all those Patreon-only episodes that we've been doing with... Uh, Hell of a one coming up. Yeah, no kidding, right? Everybody got a slight taste of our look back. You know what? It's not truly a slight taste of our look backs with the Dead Alive episode, because that's not how we've been doing any of our look backs. That's a good point. Like, I was going to say, like, there was a there was a little bit of it that you guys got a couple weeks ago, but that's not what they've been. No, 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 no. That was just... Uh, that was something special. So far, that's been the outlier. <laughs> that was something special. This one should be something special. Oh, Cannibal absolutely. Holocaust again. It's always fun. It's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the family. I should text Dylan, get him to come back. Oh, my gosh. See if he wants to finish it. And we'll pick up where you <laughs> we left off. 
<laughs> we know right where you left off, buddy. We can watch the rest. Yeah, there's a lot left. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm excited to get back to it. I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but that's part of the fun. Agreed. To some people, that might sound boring, but to me, oh, that man. sounds exciting. Because, fuck, I know our Babadook episode, I went off on something that we did not get to the I first know, time and that's, around. That's the beauty of getting to rewatch and revisit after some good Years. space in between. Yeah. So Years now at this point. I'm enjoying that. I know, I know we went pretty deep first time on Cannibal Holocaust. I Yeah, we did our I haven't re-listened to that episode. For usually for our lookbacks, I'm just trying to sell you people on this. This is why I'm explaining all the behind the scenes right now. Like, I want you guys to get into this because we've been having a lot of fun with them. But usually on our lookbacks, I haven't been re-listening to our first episode because I want to have kind of a fresh take on it. This might be the first one that I go back and listen to it beforehand because I remember a lot of what I said and I want to make sure that I don't just repeat, repeat myself yourself, word yeah. for word. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, because I can't remember all the things I had said, but it's nice to remember mm-hmm. for those reasons. So that it might be something new. Yeah. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash squirms. <laughs> that being said, we got something, something real new for us in a way. In the studio, whatever. Agreed. Let's. I, I'm just trying to make this sound exciting because I'm excited. Let's get into the guts and bolts of Phantom of the Paradise. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts, Phantom of the Paradise. Who and what went into the making of this movie? Spoiler free. I've done this before. There's precedent. It's been a long time. I couldn't think up of something to explain it better than the opening narration of this movie. Swan. He has no other name. His past is a mystery, but his work is a legend. He wrote and produced his first gold record at 14. Since then, he's won so many that he once tried to deposit them at Fort Knox. He brought the blues to Britain. He brought Liverpool to America. He brought folk and rock together. His band, the Juicy Fruits, (laughs) single-handedly gave birth to the nostalgia wave in the 70s. Now he's looking for the new sound of the spheres to inaugurate his own Xanadu, his own Disneyland, the paradise, the ultimate rock palace. This film is the story of that search, of that sound, of the man who made it, the girl who sang it, and the monster who stole it. I mean, what more can you want? There you go. There's our spoiler-free setup for the movie. The exact way that it sets it up. I like it. And, of course, from week to week, we like to talk about our cast and crew. And this is a director, and he's a writer, who we've talked about before previously because we reviewed Carrie back on episode 183. And Brian De Palma, he's got some really cool works, man. I know I say that every week with a lot of people, but there's a film that Troma put out back in the 2000s. But this film had a co-director who was actually a mentor of Brian De Palma, and that is Wilfred Leach who a character is named after or inspired by. <laughs> so uh, that film is actually The Wedding Party, and that stars a young Robert De Niro, and that came out mm. in 1969. So, yeah. He was also the director on Sisters, such films as Dress to Kill, the film Blowout, Scarface, Body Double, The Untouchables. A movie starring Michael J. Fox and Sean Penn, I recommend, is Casualties of War. He's also the director of The Bonfire of the Vanities, Raising Cain, Carlito's Way, Mission Impossible from 1996, Snake Eyes, Mission to Mars, Femme Fatale, The Black Dahlia. More recently, he's done Domino, 
He's done some music videos for Bruce Springsteen that's Dancing in the Dark. <laughs> it's oh, pretty neat. shit. Yeah, so, I mean, he's got some really cool works, like I said. All right. Along with De Palma, we have cinematographer Larry Pizer. Gentleman's got some pretty cool works as well. He's done such things as Our Mother's House. He helped on Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare. He also helped on the TV movie The Phantom of the Opera back in 1983. He was also the cinematographer on Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark in the film Mannequin on the Move, which is the sequel to Mannequin. All right, an editor we've talked about before, that is Paul Hirsch. We talked about him back on episode 183 for Carrie and episode 244 when we talked about Lake Placid. A couple other films of note is he's helped on Brenda Palma's Sisters. He's also helped on George Lucas's little film from 1977, Star uh, Star Wars, I think it's called, something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fucking indie flick. I think so. He also helped on Urban. I think uh, the first one is technically an indie flick. I think you're right. I mean, technically speaking. Yeah. He also helped on the 1980 little flick by Irvin uh, Kirshner. It's called The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> he also helped on Blowout from 1981. The Creep Show in that segment was The Crate from 1982. That was George Romero's. He also helped on Footloose, Ferris Bueller's Day is Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Steel Magnolias, a comedy I really like starring Ed O'Neill, and that is Dutch. That movie's actually really good. came out in 91. I know that I've seen Dutch. And it has I don't uh, like, Ethan Embry. He's kind of, he's like um, this little snooty kid, rich kid, and Ed O'Neill plays his, like, the I boyfriend remember, to his mom. He has to pick him up. I know holidays. that I saw it either on Showtime or HBO. I don't know why I'm suddenly going off about Dutch. That's okay. But <laughs> what I, I do remember that movie more just from seeing it at the video stores. Yeah. It is one of those in the 90s I caught a mm-hmm. lot. A few other films of note from him. Falling Down from 93, Mission Impossible, Mighty Joe Young. He also helped on Mission to Mars. Mighty Joe Bong? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ray from uh, 2004. Oh, shit. Yeah, Source Code, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, 2016's Warcraft, and 2017's The Mummy. So some cool works there. All right, we have music composed by Paul Williams. He helped on Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas special. Had a lot of really cool voice actors on that. He also helped on the Muppet movie and in Muppet's Christmas Letters to Santa. Right. You know how he helped on the Muppet movie. Oh, he's he's a singer. He's a voice actor. He helped a lot of different ways. Composed he's, music. He's the credited songwriter on Rainbow Connection. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's... he did, This slaves. is the motherfucker that did Rainbow Connection. It's crazy. Yeah. He... I, I want to talk about him a little bit more extensively here in a bit, but yeah. That's just some of his composing credits. He's also an actor in this film. Mm-hmm. All right, we have special effects by Greg R. I don't know if we ever talked about him more specifically, but he did help do the special effects on The Hells of Eyes, episode mm. 12, and Carrie, back on episode 183. All right, this was produced by Edward R. Pressman. Production companies were Harper Productions and Pressman Williams Enterprises. The distributor was 20th Century Fox. They helped with the 1974 United States theatrical release. It had a release date on October 31st, 1974 at the National Theater in Los Angeles, California. Had a budget of about $1.3 million, and the tagline I have is, The Music Made Him Do It. All okay. Right. Moving into the cast, we've got William Finley, who plays dual roles as Winslow Leach and The Phantom. So, Mr. Finley, really cool works. He was also in The Wedding Party back in 1969. He was in Sisters from 73. He was in Eaten Alive, 
Dress to Kill, The Fun House. He was also in Night Terrors. He was also in The Black Dahlia. All right, moving forward, we've got a gentleman I just mentioned a, a little while ago, and that's Paul Williams. He plays the role of Swan, and he also is the Phantom singing voice. No surprise. So as far as acting roles for Paul Williams, he was in Battle of the Planet of the Apes as Virgil back in 1973. He was also Little Enos Burdett in Smoking the Bandit, and he did all of those Smoking the Bandits, part two. Mm. I think there was a part three as well. He was a balladeer in The Secret of Nim, even though he went uncredited. He was El Slizo pianist in the puppet movie from 79. <laughs> he was also, let's see, in The Rules of Attraction, which is kind of interesting from 2002. That movie is pretty wild. Wow. Yeah, I'm just looking here more recently, too. He voiced Brainiac in 2020's Superman television. He was in a bunch of stuff with Johnny Carson as himself. I mean, he was in there for 12 years with Johnny Carson. A lot of Muppet stuff, I think I mentioned earlier, too. A lot of uh, Westerns and whatnot, so really cool, extensive career. All right, here's an actress I didn't think we'd be talking about in this extent, but we've talked about her before, and that's Jessica Harper. She plays the role of Phoenix. We talked about her twice, back on episode 91 mm -hmm. in Suspiria, where she's Susie Banyan, and she, she doesn't reprise her role, but she is in episode 116, Suspiria from 2018, where we had Quincy on, who was also a contestant on, uh, actually our winner, if we're going to say that. Yeah. Right? Winner um, of Tester Fry. Yeah, our first rendition of that. We so still need to come up Quincy. how if we're going to do a, a second round of it. We yeah. Got, we got put off by COVID, but it's time to start thinking about it again. No, I'm, you know, I'm totally down, man. That was a lot of fun. A few other films of note from Jessica Harper. She was in Stardust Memories back in 1980. She was in Shock Treatment, which is the sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show. She was also 1981's Pennies from Heaven, 1982's My Favorite Year. She was in 1989's Big Man on Campus, which is a, kind of an interesting film. All right, she was in 2002's Minority Report, and more recently, she's in an, a film with Timothy Chalamet, directed by Luca Guadagnino, so it's no surprise, but that is Bones and All, oh. which is currently in theaters. Right. All right, moving forward. That one looks good, if I remember right. Yeah, from what I understand, it has some horror elements yeah. in it as well. That's so. what the trailer looked like. I was like, wait, 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 Guadagnino's doing some horror for us? Yeah, I mean... I'm okay with that. Okay. All right, we've got Garrett Graham plays a role of beef in the film. All right, another cool gentleman. Two films of note from him. He was in A Strange New World. That was from 1975, TV movie. He was also in Cannonball from 1976. He was in Home Movies from 1979, 1980s Used Cars. Some people might have seen him in National Lampoon's Class Reunion from 1982. Film I actually own. I picked up not too long ago, and that's Terror Vision. He's in that from 1986. And Chopping Mall, <laughs> also from 1986. He's in It's Alive Part 3. Uh, he was also in Big Man on Campus. Chud Part 2. He's Bud the Chud. That is crazy, Bud Oliver. Yeah. He's Bud. <laughs> Let's see here. Child's Play Part 2 is Phil Simpson. He was in Sidekicks from 1992. That's pretty cool. Oh, this Boy's shit. Life, another great film. Uh, My Girl 2, he was in Stewart, Saves His Family from 1995, even though he went uncredited. Uh, let's hear more recently, co-wrote as The Hitchhiker, a bunch of television roles as well. So, all right, moving forward, we've got the gentleman who actually voices Beef's singing voice, and that's Raymond Lewis Kennedy. Uh, just a few things of note from him, because he's actually a really interesting gentleman. He did a lot of R&B, pop rock, jazz fusion, acid rock, all kinds of other stuff, but he helped co-write 
Sail on Sailor, which was one of the Beach Boys' mid-career hits, as well as two hits for the band The Babies. And those two hits were Every Time I Think of You and Isn't It Time. Mm. All right. We've got a couple of gentlemen who are all in bands, yeah. <laughs> if you will. All right. So I'm going to lead up with Archie Hahn. He is the singer, if you will, of the Juicy Fruits, the Beach Bums, and the Undead. Uh, he's actually got some really cool credits. So just a few things of note. He was in Cannonball from 1976. He was in This Is Spinal Tap, Meatballs Part 2, Brewster's Millions. He was in Inner Space from 1987. He was a voiceover actor in The Burbs. He was in Gremlins Part 2. He was also in Misery as a reporter. Ooh, Brady Bunch movie. Yeah, no, like Dr. Doolittle, Alien Resurrection. I need to rewatch it, but I remember those Brady Bunch movies being They're actually hilarious. really good. They're really good. Uh, John Tucker Must Die, and oh, no shit. Alvin in the Chipmunks, The Squeakle as an Agent, Mr. Okay. Woodcock. Yeah, so some interesting films there. I've also got Jeffrey Kaminer. He plays more of the musicians in this, yeah. uh, in the Juicy Fruits, the Beach Bombs, and the Undead. We also have Peter Elbling. Uh, he was one of the singers in one of the last little segments in terms of their, their rock with the Undead, if that makes sense. It will later on in the film, but... A few things of note from him, because he is an actor and a writer, but his acting credits include Demon Seed, Brave New World, The Man with Two Brains, and he was also in a film I love. It's called Once Bitten with Jim Carrey. Oh, no shit. Uh-huh. He was also the writer, screenplay for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm. That is pretty interesting. All right. We just mentioned this gentleman. Actually, you gave... Couple of sentences this guy gives at the beginning of the film, and that is Rod Serling gives the introductory voice. Holy fuck. Uncredited, but what a fucking get. I know, I was like, what a pool that is. Uh, as if he needs introduction, but all we have to say is the Twilight Zone. I Mr. Mean, Twilight Zone. Yeah. I mean, it legitimately, like from what I understand, is like he did so much work on that show too. I mean, <laughs> that's his legacy, man, and it's a hell of a legacy to have. Now, he's also been, you know, in some other films and stuff like that. But he's not really in this film. It's just he lends his voice, which is cool. I've got a couple of other actors and actresses. Actually, two actresses, and then that'll run on our cast and crew. I've got Janice Blythe. She's one of the groupies. But we talked about her because Wild. we talked about her in episode 12. And they Hells Have Eyes. Yeah. We also uh, talked about her, I think, because she's in Eaten Alive. She was in Drive-In Massacre, The Incredible Melting Man, and The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, along with the film Spine. And last but not least, I have Sherilyn Rainbow-Smith. She's also another one of the groupies. She's in the film Lamora, Caged Heat, Massacre at Central High, Slumber Party 57, and I think it's a musical version of Cinderella from 1977. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... That rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a setup. We should give our listeners some warnings adding into this, even though kind of tame in comparison, really. It's overall pretty tame. There's some interesting special effects with Wait, like ooh. prosthetics and stuff. Actually, there's one other person in the crew that went on to be extremely famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And worked with Brian De Palma because she was dating one of oh. the set directors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She actually, like, held up uh, days of production, basically, yeah. Sissy Spacek worked on this <laughs> That's movie. really interesting, yeah, you're right. Actually, another person who I, I didn't give credit to quite yet, I think I wrote it down. I think her name, is, if I'm not mistaken, is Betty Buckley. She was the gym teacher in Carrie. She lends her voice and, like, some of the quote-unquote orgy sequences and audition oh, okay. sequences. Yeah, 
So she does lend her voice in this, even though it goes uncredited. So there's a little bit of violence, a little bit of blood. Right. I guess technically a little bit of gore. Yeah. You could say... it's not bad. No, it's not. There's... I mean, some sexual themes, I guess. Honestly, like, some of the Phantom stuff is kind of body horror. There is a derogatory use of some words in this. Ooh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, you know, and I'm not... I'm not going to make any excuses for it, but, you know, I have to at least make some disclaimers there. You don't see anything, but there's at least an attempted sexual assault. True. That's very true. The door closes, and it lasts about a second and a half, and she's out of the room, but But you you know what's happening. Yeah, you get the idea. So, without getting too much into it, (laughs) part of its influence is Faust. Oh, yeah. Which it yeah, wears yeah, yeah, on yeah. its fucking sleeve because... Oh, it makes no bones about yeah. it. Yeah. Makes no bones much. about it. So, Faustian <laughs> yeah. themes. Selling your soul. Right. Basically. Yeah, it, it's not so. It's not that cut and dried, but basically. No, it's, it has to be disclaimed because that might be something that throws you. Yeah. Like, no, I'm out. I don't deal with the devil and that kind of stuff. Why are you listening to us? No. I don't know. Our logo is an... <laughs> Is an inverted cross with a fucking pot leaf on it. <laughs> but, mean, you, know, you know, we've always made it a part to, to make these warnings. But. Right, right. I mean, just in case, just in case. I mean, thank you for being here, but just in case we do want to give those warnings out, you know. Shit, but you're right. Let's just get into it. I really want to talk about this movie. Uh, let's find out how Phantom of the Paradise made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, man. Phantom of the Paradise. I finally get to check this one off. Been Likewise. wanting to see it for a long time just because of being so curious about that fucking helmet. Yeah, now we can, like I said, take that off of our bucket list. How did it make a squeal? How did it make you squeal, Danny? I actually enjoy this film more so than I normally would. Because I, I, to be quite fair, it's like I'm not huge on like musicals and rock operas, but I do like them if they have you know a good backbone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and in this case, like our, I like this one because it, it has familiar elements. Who's not familiar with like Phantom of the Opera? Some people might not be familiar with Faust, but there's some other elements in here that they will be familiar with. If you're a usual listener of us, you'll be familiar with Faust by now because yeah. we've ran into so many fucking Faust stories. We can't help it, you know. But I started thinking about a little bit about growing up and like how I liked. Little Shop of Horrors, and I did like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and things like that. I even like, we talked about this, Repo, the genetic oh, opera. Yeah. So even like Sweeney Todd, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, like, yeah, it, it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but I do I do like them, mm-hmm. you know? And this one kind of fits in that. It's like, it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but I, I enjoy it. It's fun. I'm extremely pleasantly surprised by how much I fucking actually really dig this movie. Um, I figured you'd be a little bit more critical of it, yeah. So I rewatched it this morning, as I always do, to take notes and shit. But then kind of had to run around and do some errands and shit. And was re-listening to the soundtrack the entire time. It's good. It's got some bangers in it. And after watching it twice, like, it's kind of... I don't dislike it. But really, the only part of Rocky Horror I care about is the first half. And the second half can kind of go blow donkey dicks. I don't give a shit about, like, any of the songs in that movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I, 
And like, I, it's not even, it. it's, it's not even like it. that it goes deeper into the like psychosexual aspect right, right, and all right. that is just like, I don't give a shit about any of the songs in the second half of that movie. I totally get it, dude. Which like, makes it harder to keep in. I was going to say, you're not going to get an argument already because like I said, I'm not, it's not necessarily my, my gig or my bag, but it's okay. But this feels like the Rocky horror I can get into. Dude. Yeah. There's some things I want to talk about where 100% I'm into 100%. In terms of the theatrics and shit. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. And it's weirdly stylized, but in a way that once again, I can just, I'm, I'm down with it. Like, this is great. Like, I love just the off the wallness of some of the storytelling yeah. and some of the beats and like the over the top of some of the bits and how it all comes yeah. together. Like, didn't you say there's a, a version of it coming out soon? Because I might have to lay down money for it. No. Sh- uh, or did somebody just. Scream oh, did, Factory. Scream Factory. Factory. Yeah. They put one out, and it's... It is it 4K nice. or the Blu-ray? I think it's just Blu-ray. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's just I might hold out and wait till somebody decides to do yeah. this 4K. It, it'll come. It eventually mm-hmm. will, because it has that cult status. So... Because, yeah, oof, it's, it's I'm, I'm going to continue to listen to this soundtrack through the week, too. I don't know how much it's going to persist past the week, but, like... <laughs> it's interesting, dude, because before I start looking up all this stuff... And you can tell there's, like, some ADR and you mm-hmm. know, voiceover and whatnot... And so it made me wonder, like, yeah, who are these people that are actually singing? Because that, to me, is the more interesting bit. In terms of, like, the singing, when you see it, as opposed to the acting bit, pantomiming. And then knowing that Paul Williams, the guy who plays Swan, I mean, basically wrote the fucking music for this movie. Yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> but In no, this, like, good. a lot of this stuff is actually pretty dark, too, when you sit back and listen to the lyrics. But this is our fucking Rainbow Connection guy. I know. That's fucking this is um what was the other one that i saw that he did that kind of blew me away this is fucking we've only just begun (laughs) what this is uh an old-fashioned love song just song. god damn yeah some of the notable songs did you go through his note this is fucking i didn't like as far as his his actual writing credits in terms of music evergreen the love theme from a star is born Number one hit for Barbra Streisand. I Won't Last a Day Without You. Number one hit for The Carpenters. Rainy Days and Mondays. Number one hit for The Carpenters. We've Only Just Begun. Number one hit for The Carpenters. That's just hitting bangers, man. The Family. I don't know if I know this one. The Three Dog Night song of The Family of a Man. It charted in the U.S. and Canada, but not. it wasn't a number one. Maybe, maybe. Uh, Old Fashioned Love Song. I didn't. That only hit number four. I didn't realize that. Three Dog Night, though. Talk It Over in the Morning, Anne Murray, which was a Canadian number one. Rainbow Connection. Golden Globe and Oscar-nominated song. Entered into the U.S. Library of Congress archive. (laughs) What does that tell you? Yeah. It's really, it's that popular. And because they are huge fans of this movie, and therefore of his music... (laughs) Touch with Daft Punk on Random yeah, Access Memories. I did see that. I, re- I read about that. Some of this trivia is really interesting. But I mean, good on them, though. Good on them. Showing their influence. Those were just some of the, the bigger hits. Like, he did a shit ton of things, but... I mean, that is pretty significant, though, in terms of... I mean, not just the acting, of course, but the writing credits and the music credits and stuff. And this fits with the theme, once again, that we're on right now. So, <laughs> this guy's a good way to... In a sense, cap it, you know? Super famous for, obviously, Rainbow Connection. Also did the score for 
The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. That's, that's fucking crazy, dude. What? what? Like one of the best Muppet things that's ever been done. Up yeah. there with Muppet Treasure Island and the original Muppet movie. Like, he was definitely a part of our childhood. That's without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. I've Turns out I love this fucking movie. You know, I did not think that that was going to be the case. Even though I still think that that helmet is goofy as fuck. Right. But it, it wasn't as goofy as it, I think, plays out to be in the film. Like No. Yeah, no. You kind of get used to it. Yeah, and it's not as, that's what I'm getting at. It's, it's like it's not as, I don't know, distracting as it could be. Mm-hmm. And that's good. I'm, I'm not saying that's a detriment, but it's, it's good. Here's something that I was kind of unsure of my first time watching, right? Is it opens up with the Juicy Fruits. And I'm okay, I'm okay with that. Like, it was kind of, okay. They talked about yeah. the fact that they're a nostalgia wave. Yeah. You know, goodbye, so Eddie. Goodbye. Great song. Yeah, it's kind of funny, man. If you're watching what they're doing and seeing what's Dude, happening. That, that's where I was like, oh, my God. I think I'm going to actually really dig this Right. Because I'm like, oh, shit. They're smoking a doobie. That's a big-ass doobie, too. Right? But the thing that threw me is when we're introduced to Winslow at first. Oh, and okay. he's playing his you know piano. Like, goddamn, Ray, keep moving that head around. All right. Now, at first, I'm like, I don't know if I like this song, man. You know? Right. Him doing Faust. Right. But then I'm like, I'm like all right, just listen to what is happening. Right? And then it, at a certain point in it, I'm like, okay, actually, I can go. I kind of, I'm thinking about the time period. I'm thinking about what he's, what he's doing. And I'm like, yeah, this is, this fits in with kind of like the theatrics. I'm thinking of, of the theatrical mm-hmm. rock side of, of music. You know, as more of like, in this case, like a cantata, an opera. And I'm like, okay, okay. it's That's what I'm saying. It's not my bag, but I, I see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And also in the background, Swan's like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is it. This is what I need. This is it. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because it's like, all right, now what? what's the deal now with this, mm-hmm. this setup? And it starts to introduce some other characters, and along the way, we get introduced to Jessica Harper's character. Once again, where it's like, man, the only film I've ever seen her in are in both of those Suspirias. Yeah, I wasn't sure to what extent we'd see her in this film, and now knowing it, I'm like, all right, there's a couple of things I did make note of. I've got some would say maybe a hot take. I don't think it really is, but I got a little bit of a hot take. And then I'm like, all right, I can see why she was probably cast now. In Suspiria. I think okay. I can see why. All right. So, so it was kind of cool seeing that, like seeing her being introduced, why she was kind of sought after by the Winslow character and, you know, how he was kind of stabbed in the back. Not yeah. kind of, but he was, you know, and all that stuff. So I like how it's kind of setting up something that we haven't, it's like we haven't seen this before. It's just how are they going to tell this tale? And I like where how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some parts in it where I'm like, Wow, they they really make this guy lose his fucking mind. And in his defense, it's like, well, rightfully so, because I mean, this is like a clear case of whitewashing somebody. Mm-hmm. First off, uh, I can't remember if we did it on air or not last week when we were talking about the fact that we we're going to do this movie. But I know that when we looked it up, it was like, oh, it's a combination of Faust, Phantom of the Opera, yeah. Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I'm missing something. I mean, there's Dorian Gray. Oh, yeah, and a portrait of Dorian Gray. And I was thinking to myself, like, how the fuck is that going to work? Because I've read those. I think all of them at this point. No, I've never read Faust. I don't think I've read Faust, but the others I'm very familiar with. I'm like, how are you going to do? 
I think they did wonderfully. Not only did they do wonderfully, but they combined those stories to make a story that's also an indictment of the record industry. Yeah, it's like it, there's a social commentary that it's throughout. It's you know, it's it's there, if, especially if you're paying attention. Swan is Phil Spector, guys. His name was actually gonna be Spector, mm-hmm. but yeah, they changed it to Swan, which is interesting because it, it fits a theme. I think he's going for whatever. You know, I don't know exactly what the theme is per se outside of just birds, but you see it with Harper's character's name's Phoenix, his name's Swan. The death label record is a you know dead crow. That label logo goes hard, dude. It's it's awesome. I hope somebody makes that shirt because I want it. I would imagine. I mean, I I could be off here, but I think that's probably a little bit of an homage to Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. to, in some respect. So there's that, and there's also some of the outfits that she wears, Harper, that is, that have plumage. So, you know, there's things like that. I get it. In the wedding, there's the dancers with the black plumage. Yeah, exactly. So it's throughout the film. It's, you know, it's not like it's prevalent, but you definitely see it. So, yeah, so, I mean, I guess basic outline... I don't know how much we want... I mean, we, we can stop like at any point like we and always go through. Yeah. yeah, we just do, like, the bare bones. So... We heard who Swan is in that intro. We don't need exactly. to set up Swan anymore. We no, know no, who no. Swan it's is. It's in the intro. He's trying to find music for Xan- not Xanadu, for Paradise, his club he's going to open. Here's um, William Leach, right? Did I get the name? It's Winslow. Winslow. Yeah. Winslow Leach. And he's like, I need that music. Sends his homeboy to go rip off his music. <laughs> takes his music, and he's like, cool, I'm going to do with this what I want now. Yeah, exactly. Leach shows up being like, can I just be part of this? Because it's my my, my music. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not like an unreasonable demand. <laughs> he gets thrown out on his ass, beat up, sent to prison. Oh, <laughs> this is wild, man. Becomes a part of an experiment. Mm-hmm. Part of an experiment. Gets away, but gets horribly deformed to doing so. And when he goes to try to ruin or get his revenge in some way, Upon this man who has stolen, essentially, his magnum opus. He gets basically caught and forced into a Faustian bargain. I don't know if you're strong-armed into it as much as he is, if it's truly a Faustian bargain. I feel like you have to kind of be looking for it on your own. Yeah, granted. You know what I mean? To be truly? This is kind of like the proxy piggyback way of doing it. It's like because I have it and I'm gonna pass it down to you. This is this is the proxy. Way, this is the way the mob runs Faust. Yeah. What the, fuck? what the fuck? But it's basically like, cool, you That's can funny. make your music. You're too far gone. I can't help you in that regard. But you love how this chick sings, so she's gonna be the one to do your music. And yeah. I'm going to let you keep making your music. You just have to, like, work for me in the underground. Right. And he knows that's probably, like, the carrot, if you will, uh, Harper's character. Mm-hmm. That's going to make him always pursue. Your your own. name will get attached to the writing. It's not going to be a swan song. <laughs> right. It's going to, you know, I'm going to credit it as, but everyone's going to think you're dead. And I you're going to work for me from here on out. But you, but you get to finish it. Yeah, he's literally a phantom writer, ghost writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And then immediately goes back on his word. Oh, yeah. I mean, he gets gaslit at every turn. He's like, I'm going to have them do the music, and I'm going to have them do the music, and I'm going to have her in the background. I thought that was really interesting how, once again, it is 
you know, showing how, in some sense, I mean, I, I know it's in, in, in a way satirizing, you know, the music industry and probably the inter- entertainment industry in that regard, but just to kind of get a glimpse of how the process is done, like I say, even though it's through satirization, it's still interesting. Like, even when they choose beef, mm-hmm. and he's like, I have really no talent, but no. he has the image. That brilliant image. And that's all they're looking for. Brilliant showman, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant showman. We've talked about this before, right? In this in this case, it's style over substance. Mm-hmm. The Phantom finds ways to sort of fight back here and there, but it's mostly unsuccessful. As he realizes that Phoenix is getting tricked into her own bargain and is shacking up with Swan, <laughs> yeah. he becomes despondent, tries to kill himself. It doesn't work because of his bargain. He realizes that he needs to end Swan in that case, tries to kill him. Nope. Doesn't work because <laughs> he's under con. Yeah, he says it. And so then he finds out the extent of Swan's contract and comes up with a plan to basically ruin them both in front of an audience, essentially. <laughs> he's going to end it all. But yeah. mostly he's at that point trying to save Phoenix. He is. He's just going to end the charades at this point. Mm-hmm. Even if he it's wants a sacrifice to unmask himself. everything. Right. He, he knows it's a sacrifice because Swan already explained to him that, like, this is how it's going to end. Exactly. If you pull the plug... It's not only me, it's going to be you too. Yeah. You told, you tried to commit suicide, so now you have a giant hole in you. The only thing that's keeping you alive is this contract. Yeah, get messy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's the bare bones of it all. And now we get to talk about some of the uh, the juicy bits, if you will, in between. Honestly, the bare bones, if you were paying attention, I mean, it's the film. explains how it's a fucking teardown of the music industry. No, it Because that sort of it shit does. happens all the time. Right. Artists get exploited. Used songwriters, I would say, probably especially. Man, no kidding. It's unreal. Here's something that's interesting. My sister, when she was still here in Missoula, she was working with a lady who actually wrote some songs for Reba McIntyre. And I'm like, wow, I bet you most people have no clue. I would have never guessed in a million years, you know, like, hey, there's somebody right here in town that wrote songs for Reba McIntyre that was working with my sister. Yeah. Like, that's wild, but it just goes to show, like, that shit happens probably more than we realize. Yeah, I would say probably, <laughs> I have no stats to back this up. I'm just right. trying to guess off the top of my head, but I'm going to say that the probably two of the groups that get screwed over the most often are probably songwriters and studio musicians. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, there's probably some small royalties, but, yeah, especially studio musicians. You just go in... You know, you're probably in just for a couple of days at best to lay down some tracks. And then it takes off. Yeah, and then, yeah, you were just there for that studio session. You're not there to gig with them on tour. You're not part of the band. It's just this pop star needed music, and they can't play it. You were there because you were were their studio musician. I'm sure you get paid by the studio for whatever time, but, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, most of, if I'm not mistaken, I think most of the money is on tours. And stuff like that. It's not what you sell album wise. That's more no, of the record company. That's what the record company is getting. Yeah. It's like you're you're better off just being independent 
But that's a whole different discussion. Keep your masters. Yeah, exactly. Keep your masters. Um, listen to some of the artists. I mean, that, I mean, since we are on a music theme, is like there's artists who speak about this. Not that I have to get in depth. They have a better understanding than I do of it. But I think it's still interesting regardless. Mm-hmm. That being said, also kind of a interesting way of doing Phantom of the Opera because Swan is kind of the Phantom, but he's not. He forces okay. someone else to be the Phantom. Yeah, it's interesting, but the, isn't it? But it works the way that it all comes together. Agreed. Agreed. It's lame just to say it works. Like, I feel like I should be able to explain it more, <laughs> yeah, but it's but... like there's aspects of the Phantom that are put onto each one of them. Right. It's not. And because one. of the the fact that they're only being brought together by this Faustian bargain to begin with, it kind of works that they're kind of having to put both of their energies towards fulfilling this role i think it's interesting like a combination of of the two yeah encompassing the one but it, they do a good job or in this case De palma does a good job of writing that making it fit god everything that happens to leech is so fucked up it is it's it is fucked up like how fast someone exploited him and then yeah it just really just gaslit him to the point where it looks like he went crazy, you know, which I mean, he arguably is, dr you know, driven crazy. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he is. But the, my point is, is like it was because of all the stuff they were doing. It wasn't because he's crazy. You drove him crazy, mm -hmm. you know, and so that's when that's the, the gaslighting part is like, oh, yeah, no, you you're crazy. You're crazy, man. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean your work? What are you doing here? And dude, that's when um, he sneaks in during that orgy. And Swan says, get him out of here. And I'm like, oh, no. That was, dude, I didn't even notice him at first. No, no, that's funny. Especially the first time through. I was just like, man, that one, they keep not showing her face. And then yeah. they showed her face. And I'm like, oh, that's not a her. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a man, baby. <laughs> but stuff like that, right? And to the point where Swan, you know, he gives him that deal, makes him sign the deal. And you know what's what's happening but there's also to me i think there's there's an interesting bit where you kind of see like the music being made in the studio from what i understand that's like a real moog mm. synthesizer like outfit yeah, that's a a single analog synthesizer that is fucking nuts that still exists and because of the way analog synthesizers work it's next to impossible to actually recreate some of the sounds that that thing can make digitally. Exactly. Because there's certain uh, circuitry bending that's involved that yeah, it's hard to man manipulate with digital effects. We'll get there. Eventually. I'm, I'm positive we e will. Eventually, yeah. Because the fact is that most of that studio that we see is a single laptop today. <laughs> that's fucking bonkers. But because of the type of music they're making with it, obviously. Naturally, yeah. But it, it's interesting, man. That's a whole nother discussion too because there's some really cool artists that get into that like the pioneers of synthesizers and then it goes into bands like industrial bands that use those synthesized keyboards mm -hmm. and turn it into something different with circuit bending so it's kind of cool guys so <laughs> this is weird i know that this predates it but him just going up to jessica harper and half being just super <laughs> like down with the way she's singing it, but also kind of flirting with her kind of reminded me of Goldblum in the fly. 
And yeah, now he yeah, just really immediately is. goes to Gina Davis. So, ooh, ooh. And it's kind of the same thing where he's both super excited about what he's doing and sees this as an opportunity, but yeah. also like, hey, you're cute. Let me help you. Yeah. I'll give you private lessons. I fucking wrote the thing. Yeah. How do I know the song? Because I wrote it, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my work. It's all mine. Now... I don't know why I was so thick my first time through, but it took me till the second time through to kind of realize that as they're playing these songs through the movie, they're all comments on what's going on in the movie and is following his Faust cantata. It really is. But it, I mean, that's the clever part too. Well, here's a, they're, they're good about not doing it like super on the nose because they break it up with things like a full street which is the, the beach bum song that like the, the car bomb and shit. Or I think it's when they're doing the video for it, that the car bomb happens. But I believe that's also the song that he heard on the radio uh, in prison that caused him to fucking uh, berserk and break out. Gotcha. A full street doesn't seem to fit into Faust at all. If you're listening to the lyrics, but if you're listening to the music, it's ripping off <laughs> his Faust track. That's wild. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's, I believe it's the same like chord progression and it follows the entire structure of the song, (laughs) but is just this, it's, I mean, it's legitimately just a beach boy song on top of what was a super serious track, really super serious to him. Well, that, that's the thing too, is like what you were saying with songwriters and they're taking certain probably emotions and feelings out of it and just try to make it a a hit, a pop hit or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, it's it's a good way of seeing that, <laughs> you know, right there in front of you. And I can't remember which one it was, but I think I can't remember if it was special to me or if it was Old Souls. It was one of the songs that Jessica Harper does, and one of them, it's like if you're really paying attention to the lyrics, you're like, okay, so this is what we're where we're at in the Faust story. But if you interpret it as what she's emotionally going through and what she's trying to get, you know go for in her own life and how she's trying to, you know, grab this opportunity and shit that also works. And that's kind of where this movie is amazing. Like the music is fucking great. I, I'm not um, one to argue like, because it, it combines in this case, clever writing from the script and combining all those references and influences. And you're right. Having the music to back it. And in this case with Paul Williams, you've already strung off how many hits this guy has. So yeah. I think if somebody was going to have a good idea, <laughs> an understanding of how to write it narratively, he's probably a good guy for it. I do feel a little bit bad, though, that I think my favorite <laughs> track, my second favorite, the first one, my first favorite song on this in this movie uh-huh. isn't actually on the soundtrack. Like, it's not on this album. Okay. And it's the, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the song about, like, you're going to go meet the devil when he's walking to Swan's place for the first time. Oh, okay. It's that track that's playing in the background there. My number two is Life at Last. Yeah. Which is Beef's song, which is why I feel bad. It's like the whole point is that Beef is style for substance. (laughs) Yeah. But I fucking dug that song. No, it's it's still fun. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh... I like a few things in this film, man, in terms of, like I said, the theatrics. And one of them being is when 
we're getting introduced to, I think it is uh, beef, right? When mm. the undead are performing and they're doing their song and all that. I'm like, man, I would be lit as fuck in that damn audience, dude. That shit looked dope as fuck. <laughs> like, that was awesome. Right, they have, like, the plants in the audience yeah. where they're cutting off their arms and, like... Dude, I'm like... And it's, like, kind of, like, shit. Alice Cooper shock rock style, just not as bloody. Although right. his wasn't super bloody, but no, more but than it, it's <laughs> It's theatrical, but it is combining that horror element, you know what I mean? A little bit of shock, mm-hmm. you know, for that time period, so... Like, but that's that would have been fun. But it, this is what it made me think too. This came out in '74. My dad would have been like 20, 21 when this came out. So I'm like, yeah, I can see like thinking about his generation mm-hmm. and this style of music and combining it with theatrics, you know. And it made me think of bands like The Who and shit like that. But yeah, this would have been fucking in a way kind of mind blowing, especially if you're on psychedelics. What's wild to think about. There were at least a few weeks where conceivably, depending where you're at and how many, what kind of theaters you had in your area and how many screens they had. Yeah. You could have conceivably went and saw this, Rocky Horror, and Stupid. Tommy. That's dumb. All in the theaters at once. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, especially if you're big in the theater or just music in general. Like, that would have been mind-blowing. Literally, at, at one point, once. this was... A double bill with Rocky Horror. Well, I mean, when the studio, when uh, Fox was like, oh, we're not making money on these. Yeah, let's pair them and see what happens. I mean, but that's not bad, especially for like midnight movies and stuff, cold mm-hmm. movies. These would have been fun. I mean, to see like during their, their original runs. I mean, they're definitely, at some point, they're going to play this at the Roxy again. I know oh, they have in the past, so. and we might have to try to go. Dude, that would be a lot of fucking fun, especially with a little crowd. Yeah. I, you know, we, we know people. We know people. So I don't think that would be a hard thing to do. But that was fun. I really enjoyed that that whole performance. And uh, the one right behind it was the pre-show, if you will, with like a little bit of funk, the lead mm. up to the wedding, if you will. Oh, okay. The vowels. Yeah, yeah. yeah the vowels. So I was like, man, that would have been fun too. That, that little pre-hype show mm-hmm. <laughs> with that funk. I'm like, yeah, that would have been another reason for me to show up. Easy sell. Yeah. Something neat is like that first time we hear Faust, it's Bill Finley. And then it's later on that we end up with Paul Williams doing it once he's the Phantom. Right, 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 right. When basically there's a couple different times where Swan's like, yeah, I'm okay with perfection as long as it's coming from me. As long as it's coming from me, I'm okay with it. But I can't have anybody overstaging me which is part of the reason why he puts jessica harper in the backup even though she's perfect for singing right but in he's gotta be the yeah so when he's tuning the phantom singing voice the voice that he lands on is his his. yeah yeah and i do like that too he's like because he's like the dolby's Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah he's manipulating leech's voice which you know like you said it's is actually his because it's perfect yeah, I, I, that's that's a good twist, though. That's a good twist on it, or, or a play on it, if you will. <laughs> the backdrop, when we were talking about the the undead leading into beef and all that shit, the backdrop and all that totally reminded me of the Red Hot Chili Peppers' other side video. <laughs> that's funny. Like, they, they, show, yeah. they mostly show them kind of, like, out on those, like, 
ego runways and like interacting with the crowd. But yeah. anytime that camera swings around, you see that they actually have like a backdrop and shit. Like it's a, it's a production. I, I noticed that too with like the backing musicians and mm -hmm. whatnot. I was like, yeah, no, there's actually people back there playing the music and, and doing that stuff. And I was like, that's, that's where the real magic. And that's too, I know you probably have better experience than I do, but I had the opportunity one time to do a, a play at a local theater and it was fun. I did it in high school and it gave me a better appreciation for, like I said, the, the stuff that goes into it, not just from the acting side, but from, you know, the crew side and, and stage hands mm -hmm. and things like that, all that stuff. So yeah, it made me appreciate it more. And so the people that normally might not get the adoration or, you know, the recognition, sometimes they're like the unsung heroes, you know, they make that shit happen. The fucking delivery of I'm under contract too. <laughs> Blew me away. I was not expecting like. No, like, I wasn't expecting fuck. that either. Because I was like, "What is, what is happening?" <laughs> when he said that, he dropped that line, and then you get to see how that happened. And he has a line in there. I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's funny." He was like, "I'm stoned." <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I'm stoned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he ain't the only one. Or dude, the fucking look. I know real, real from drug real. <laughs> <laughs> this shit was hilarious. He was good, dude. He, he did that well. Also, that shit, that was pretty fucking... It was thinking about it, in hindsight, his fucking deal is really fucked up towards him. Because yeah. Swan made the deal with the devil so that he would never have to grow old and fade. Like, his his shit's the, poor, the, the Dorian Gray bit. Absolutely. And, like, it all gets transferred to this tape that's being made of him doing the deal with the devil the trick is is in order to keep it going he has to watch, watch it every day, day. Yep. so in order to avoid <laughs> watching himself get old and get decrepit he has to watch himself get old and decrepit every day yeah that's wild isn't it like that's it's fucking fuck. good yeah but it's yeah it's one of those mind fucks but that's the bargain he took you know that's a deal he, he made I feel like I missed it both times. What happened that he was all fucked up at the end? I'm wondering, is is it because Winslow saw all that stuff? You know, he saw how the, the Dorian Gray kind of deal worked out. And then he also saw his deal, how he signed mm -hmm. his contract. Then Phoenix signed her contract. The plot that they were going to do to off her during the finale or, you know, the, the big vows. But he was also damaging the studio as he was learning that. So what I'm wondering how much of that affected, you the know, deal. Swan. Mm -hmm. As it was, maybe he was damaging some of the real or whatever. Well, because affecting well, him. I like, don't know to what, what was it? That. The the terms of the deal were like you have to keep this. I know it was like you have to keep this safe. Was it that he also had to keep it secret? Did like him uh, even perhaps. watching that maybe? Perhaps there's probably some underlying shit that was in the contract we didn't get to see, but. Because I that I was the only that. part that really confused me was at the end. I was like, okay, so why is he fucked up? That's the only thing I could draw from. It's just what transpired with uh, Winslow when he saw all that stuff. Because it, it would make it, more sense if it was like we see Winslow like burn the film or something. That's kind of, that's what I'm getting at. It's like I wonder how much damage he actually did that was starting to affect. But I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah, that part threw me. I will say Harper's successful audition 
<laughs> little cringe for me. Okay. Okay, this is where I'm getting at with my hot take. All right. <laughs> something also, I does learned, she try to party boy that? <laughs> like, what is something I learned about her, right, is A, she can sing. Like, she's got a good singing voice. This is trivia. This is anybody can look this up, but she beat out Linda Ronstadt. Shit for the role. I'm like, okay. So she's no slouch in that department. Okay. But she cannot dance to save her fucking life, dude. I don't know what the fuck that was. Whoa, that was cringy because I'm like, well, she can sing, but oof, it's a little rough around the edges with her mannerisms and stuff. I'm like, I don't know what she's doing. And her like running out, running back in. That was kind of fun because it was just so over the top. Yeah, but. and that's what I'm wondering too is like how much it was supposed to be kind of like that. But if not, I'm like, I'm just going to chalk it up that it was 1970s and you're just going with the flow. That's that's the part of the movie that takes me out of it for a second because I'm like, I don't even like watching this right now. Like this is, ah, ah, yeah, why? It's like because. Why would you do this? The Why would you act like good, this but, if you're not uh, being already paid for it? Oof, yeah, it's like, that's a little much. That's a little much. But aside from that, like, it's hard to knock anybody in their performances because I, I, even with Garrett Graham as Beef, like, as, as silly as that character is, he does a good job, man. Mm-hmm. He's pretty good. I think he killed it 100%. Like, I love his performance as Beef. <laughs> that's also one of the more obvious if you're already familiar with Phantom of the Opera where you're like, oh, this is the Carlotta yeah. bringing down the fucking chandelier performance. That's good. I was going to say, too, um, the guy who's singing in The Undead, uh, that's Peter Elbling, the guy who <coughs> fucking wrote Honey, I oh, yeah. the Kids. Mm-hmm. That song is uh, Somebody Super Like You. I'd overall really like that song. Yeah. There's a couple... No, there's some other songs that are definitely stronger, but well, I like the performance. I was more going to say that like there's a couple bits where I'm like, I might have personally tweaked that, but I'm also not... I don't have songwriting credits on a shit ton of number one hits, oh, so right. apparently he probably makes a better decision than me. But there's there's some there's the endings of some phrases where I'm like, why are yeah. you ending on that note? No, I know you're saying his his. I mean, I hope said this because I'm no expert, man. I can't knock him because he's. I'm sure he has better singing voice than me, but there are some parts in that scene where it is kind of like, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see what it's going, but then he hit some things and was like, okay, that sounds good. But the music some, is solid. I was going to say, the howl, he, he starts doing like these howlings that fit in some of the guitar bends mm-hmm. and stuff. And I'm like, that's fucking good, dude. Like, the music's tight as shit, especially mm-hmm. towards the end of it. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's good stuff. That's where I was like, I, I would have loved to have been in that crowd seeing that. I would have been hyped as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fucking killer. <laughs> yeah, that would have been fun as hell, man. But... Yeah, and no, this is surprising, like I said, a fun film. It's not like super horror outside of, like it's just the references with Phantom of the Opera and whatnot. No, but like they, let the, they let the Phantom kind of go a little ham too at times. Yeah. And like he's making menacing faces into the Dude. camera and popping up really quickly in the yeah. frame. <laughs> like not quite jump scares, but no, like but yeah. he's doing the whole like... No, he does a I'm good a, job. He's trying to uh, be a terrifying force. He even... And he does like straight up fucking was gonna say kill he, a kill a spotlight guy just to make sure that <laughs> Phoenix gets the spotlight. I was gonna say too. What what's interesting is uh, toward the beginning of the film, he he has a little bit of rage and he makes mention of that, and it does come back to play. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they were kind of feeding into that. But uh, no, like I said, it's a fun film, man. I enjoyed it. And it, to think of it's a Brian De Palma film, pre Carrie, and a lot of films to come. 
It's mm-hmm. like he did a good job, man. You can kind of see an early vision that he had. And in this format, it's it's really playful. You know, it's really cool. I like that a lot. I'm kind of really, really happy to now know that whenever I see a rendish or a, I guess something I had never noticed before whenever I had seen images of the Phantom Winslow Leech, I always was focused on the helmet and yeah. I did not realize that he had those metal chompers because of his time in Sing Sing. That's fucked up. I know. I was going <laughs> to say his makeup, man, when you see the mask come off and shit, it's like, it's a little fucking toxic Avenger. It is, right? <laughs> yeah, it it's is. It's a little toxic. It is. And I'm like, that's kind of funny, but it's not bad. Like, I like the, the whole blacking of his eye underneath the mask and stuff, mm-hmm. too, because you kind of see it from that angle and it does look bird-like. Yeah. So it was like, okay, that kind of fits that bird theme or motif that he's going with. And I like that the mask is open on his good eye and has, like, a lens over the shit eye. Yeah. that's And so it does also look different from, like, different sides because that, yeah. that blacked-out look is pretty fire with that mask, too. I was just saying, it's not a bad mask, man, now think about it. It's like, it's not the best looking, of course. <laughs> Jesus. No, but it's still not horrible, either. I feel like it would look better if he was like if either he or his outfit was bulkier oh yeah so that it wasn't just this giant fucking helmet helmet on this kind of skinny dude (laughs) yeah it's like Ned Flanders running on the big ass helmet on yeah it's like fucking somebody (laughs) threw on big head mode on goddamn golden eye fucking funny dude but (laughs) no it this is fun man this is also reminds me of an era where you didn't necessarily have like and this is no knock to anybody, like the the quote-unquote real pretty faces and these roles or, you know, these immaculate men and these, you know, Barbie doll women in, in these roles. Like, Yeah, but I wouldn't have minded being in the middle of that orgy. Like, No, me. I'm not arguing or complaining. I mean, like, that's somebody's grandma or great-grandma, but whatever. <laughs> they need to love, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they need to stay warm. Sometimes you got to have those tickle fights. I'm down. Um, yeah. I'm no stranger. So, <laughs> but whatever you got to do. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I don't know what else to say, man. Like, I, I thought this was a fun film. I think for those who are kind of on the fence, but like all those a- aforementioned films we've already mentioned, Tommy and, you know, Rocky Horror and whatever else, you know, Sweeney Todd, all that stuff, Repo. This is a fun one to add to the mix. Yeah. I'm definitely going to watch this again. I just, I don't know when because, like, I do too many I fucking think podcasts. A but. theater watch would be fun. Like, yeah. having that in a, you know, room full of people who are into this, yeah, I could be really fun. I legit really hope that I can find, like, a, a Death Records t shirt somewhere. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't know how much I'd be into people singing along to this film. <laughs> I mean, it'd be cool, but I'm like, Ugh, after a while, it kind of gets cringy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, and they they play Faust like three times. Yeah, that's like, I, I'm okay with that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, once again, I enjoyed it, dude. I thought it was fun. Brian De Palma, awesome director. Like I so said, you get a, a cool glimpse of his early work in this film and what's to come behind it. So it doesn't surprise me. Oh, I already found a couple death record stickers and so on patches dude it's sweet yeah no those are dope they are dope i'm telling that logo goes hard it does i mean it's perfect fits death label mm-hmm. got a death crow one other thing on the bird thing before i yeah. forget to mention it 
Her name's Phoenix. Her star takes off after Beef burns to death. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Rises from the ashes. Uh, there's even, uh, isn't there a song or like mention of ashes in one of the, the songs? In the, yeah, it's like, I thought so. Maybe I'm tripping, but I thought there was something made a mention of that. But yeah, this, this film is clever, man. And it does warrant a couple of views just to kind of pick up on those nuances. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the kind of the advantage, once again, that we do have, because we do typically watch these films twice. I wish there was a little bit more hunchback in it. I don't know yeah. how. Like, because the little bit that's there, like, it works. Because the only thing they really take from hunchback is that he's disfigured. And he kind of has a thing for this chick. Right, but... Who doesn't have a thing for him back, but he's still willing to die for her. I guess, but yeah. it's not quite the same. No, but I mean, you can see you can see it's there. But it's though. it's definitely it's there enough that I'm like, yeah, this is influenced by it. It's right, just way it. more Phantom and it's way more Faust. Agreed. But you were and right, way more Portrait of Dorian Gray. <laughs> that's oh, right on the nose there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's okay. But it's there, and you know what? That's fine because nothing needs to be too Hunchback. Because if you've ever actually read Hunchback, you'll know that the Hunchback story is actually kind of tacked on, and it's more just about the cathedral itself. Yeah, that's interesting. Literally, it was written a <laughs> little bit. Uh, I don't, unless we talk about the old Universal one, I don't know if I'll ever be able to bring up Hunchback again. But quite literally, Victor Hugo wrote Hunchback of Notre Dame to save the cathedral. Damn. He fell in love with it, and during his lifetime, it had fallen into insane disrepair. Nobody gave a shit about it. Like, it wasn't this, you know, beautiful yeah. historic landmark as we think of it now. Like you said, it was... It was just an, it was an old church that we don't use anymore. Yeah, we use whatever. this one down the road. So, why are we going to keep sweeping this <laughs> and doing... Yeah. And he's like, no, this, this building's fucking beautiful. Like, he had a huge hard-on for architecture and shit anyway. So he was like, well, I'm going to write this story where the church itself, not like the church as in the people, but no, literally the, the, the church. this church plays a huge part in it to try to get people to look at it again. And it worked. No, that's really interesting. He rom- romanticized the idea of the church through a novel to gain attention to it, to help preserve it. That's, that's a pretty interesting feat, an endeavor. And if you read it, there are a lot of bits where you're just like, this dude is getting hard writing about this church, isn't he? It's like, oh, this fucking columns and those gargoyles. Oh, bro. Oh, bro. (laughs) I get it. All over the stained glass. Put him on the glass. More power to him. (laughs) Also, the ending's really fucked up. Do you know the ending for the book, Hunchback? I don't don't think I do. No. So all of it kind of happens the way you normally think of, like Esmeralda goes off with fucking soldier homeboy. I don't remember how much they go off together, but basically, like, this story's told, people are curious about it, this and that. And so years later, for some reason, they have, I don't remember if they have to or if they're just curious enough that they did, but they go and dig up Esmeralda's grave. Damn. And you find out that Quasimodo when he finally decided it was time that he was just going to die from a broken heart, I think. I don't think he died. I don't think he, like, committed full-on suicide, but I also don't think he lived a full life either. You know what I mean? He just went and 
he dug down to her and laid down in her grave with her and died. Damn. Poor guy. Yeah. Also creepy. Well, yeah. <laughs> not the creepiest I've ever heard when it comes to that kind of stuff, but yeah, it's creepy nonetheless. Yeah. You know, and not, but, not what most people think of when they think of the end of that story is the biggest bit. Yeah. I can see why they probably didn't put that in with Disney and all that stuff. Oh, I think he intentionally starves to death. Something like that. I mostly remember him ending up in her grave, too. Yeah, that's... That's what I took away from it. <laughs> Castle hard-ons and... Or cathedral hard-ons and... Not really... It's not necrophilia, but it's, like, still... I it's, like, know, on the in, edge. Interment, you know, like, you're still digging up graves and shit. It's it's on the edge. Yeah, it, it's, it's borderline. It's weird shit. <laughs> that's, that's all I'll say on that, but... Yeah, man, no, this fun. This was a fun run too, as far as like music run and just soundscapes and whatnot. Oh wait, no, that's right. Esmeralda dies. She doesn't go off and have a good time with the fucking soldier boy. She ends up getting hung. Damn, it's tragic. Yeah, and in the epilogue, a deformed skeleton is found many years later, embracing another in a charnel house implying that Quasimodo had sought out Esmeralda among the decaying corpses and laid down to die while holding her. Damn. <laughs> and as the, the soldiers who find them try to pull them apart, his skeleton just crumbles to dust. Uh, as it does. Yeah. <laughs> just a, you know, insult to injury. Her skeleton's fine. It's just his. His fucked up skeleton just... Now he's returned to dust, man. This shit happens, but... Yeah, no, uh... You've already mentioned it. We've mentioned it next week. Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a great time. You know, going into the holiday I mean, season with Cannibal Holocaust. Even though we didn't plan <laughs> it really this way, but it still fits in a sense because the music is fucking phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Um, soundtrack is amazing. I mentioned in the last episode, I was listening to the soundtrack not all that long ago. Like, it's, it's a fantastic it's soundtrack. It's really great. But it wasn't necessarily the way that we planned going into it. But, I mean, it still fits, if it's nonetheless. Maybe it'll kick something else off. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we, we'll see. But I guess, I don't really, yeah. No, I'm done with Phantom. That's so all I got. That's all I got. So for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.